What type of RIAs should you not join? That is today's question on the transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 97. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, where I hope you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RIA model. Uh, if you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, you can find all of the resources I make available from this entire series in video format, podcast format. I have articles, I have white papers, information on how to contact me, all types of things to help you better understand the RIA model. Again, transition to RIA.com. Okay, on today's episode, uh, this is going to be kind of almost the inverse of, of a, uh, several episodes I've made. So I've, I've previously talked about, you know, why you might want to join uh, an existing RIA versus starting your own. I've talked about how to evaluate RIAs to potentially join. I've talked about what the payout is uh, typically with RAs that you might join. Uh, and so this episode is kind of almost the inverse. It's saying, okay, well, what, with all that kind of information that was helpful, but what are specifically types of RAs you would not want to join? And so I wanted to go through a couple examples of the types and profiles of firms that I would heavily caution you to have pause on before you might consider uh, joining them and transitioning your practice uh, to, to that solution. Um, and these are in no particular order. This is not an exhaustive list, but I think these, these will be some helpful items. Uh, so the first one, uh, and this is something um, that will not be of an issue to some of you, but, but will be uh, something to be cautious about for others in part, because this is one of the big misconceptions out there that I hear often from advisors. And so the advice is unless, and I'll give an example, the profile of this fits you, is to heavily consider not joining an RA firm that you have to sell your practice to as part of that join-in process. Now, to be clear, there are plenty of advisors where that makes sense to be selling your practice. Perhaps you're more towards the end of your career and that is your succession plan and you sell your practice as, as part of your exit strategy, or maybe you have found a solution that even if you're more on the younger side perhaps, uh, but selling to them and their value proposition is so strong so impressive and they can help you grow that, that you're willing to take the chips off the table kind of earlier in your career uh, and, and make that move uh, for the balance of the time under, under their RIA. Uh, but I've had plenty of conversations where advisors are maybe at a wirehouse or broker dealer type environment that just aren't familiar with the RIA space that if, if the thought is, or the conversations about, well, hey, may, have you considered joining an RIA as, to, to compare it to what it would be to start your own? And the, the automatic assumption I've heard is, oh, but yeah, but I don't want to sell my practice. And, and again, so the point I'm trying to make here is, while that exists, there are absolutely some wonderful value propositions out there and solutions out there that do not require that you sell your practice. So if you are in that situation that you're, you're not at the end of uh, the kind of your, your career where you're looking for that long-term succession solution, or you're not feeling you need that kind of dance partner that, that yes, you'll sell now and they'll help you maybe grow faster. Uh, just know that there are solutions out there that don't require that. So if you're out there in the marketplace and that is your profile, that that's not the right fit for you, just know you should not be joining a firm that requires that you sell your practice to them. Um, and, and what I'm mostly referring to is the ones that you sell 100% of your practice. There are some that require that you sell a minority position, 
Uh, that gets us, that that's a whole nother complication. Maybe I'll do a separate episode on that and the pros and cons of that. But that that adds strings with it as well. So just know the main takeaway is if you're you're saying, hey, I want to move it in the RA space. I, I don't want to start my own. I want to join one. You do not have to sell your practice as part of that. There are wonderful solutions out there that do not require that. You can remain 100% owner of your practice as part of as part of that uh, solution. Uh, so the next example, a little related to the first one, is you should not join, in most instances, you should not join a firm that requires you to sign some sort of non-solicit or non-compete agreement if you ever wanted to leave them at some point. Now, the, the big exception to this, and I think this is quite fair, is, is back to the, my first example. If you do sell your practice to another RIA or to whatever the solution is, it is fair. You have sold that practice. It is fair. It's reasonable. It's logical for them to expect you to not leave them and then try to take those clients with you that you have sold to them. If you were the buyer, you would want the same kind of protection. So in that circumstance, I think that is fair to, to be asked to sign that. Where it's not fair is if you are not selling your practice, you are joining a solution that you will remain 100% owner, you, you'll be 1099, all kinds of attributes that, that are out there. Um, if, if anyone is asking you to sign some sort of non-solicitor, non-compete, non do, do not join that firm. Uh, if you are bringing your practice to them, uh, if you are growing your practice while you're there, you should not get yourself in a situation where if the circumstances ever warranted that you wanted to leave and go in a different direction, that now all of a sudden you have to worry about some non-solicit, uh, non-compete. That is total wirehouse broker dealer world that has all of that nonsense. Uh, a lot of you, are, unfortunately, are in that situation now. There's a way to navigate away, but it's there's a, there's a kind of a delicate dance you have to do to properly uh, leave that type of situation. And so I encourage anyone uh, that is in that situation, never get yourself in that situation again, right? If you make a move, go to a solution that says, hey, if circumstances ever change down the line, we were no longer the right partner for you. And again, this is assuming you haven't sold your practice to them. Hey, hey, as the RA, we will, we will say you are free to leave. You're free to take your clients. We will not try to steal your clients from you. We will not have you uh, with some non-solicit there are plenty of great solutions out there that will commit to that. Do not get yourself in a situation where you're forced to sign something uh, that, that will, that will uh, limit your future optionality down the road. Uh, the next example is just straight up, don't join a firm that has an uncompetitive value proposition out there. The, the reality is over the past 10, 20 years, but, but, but even more so here the last 10 years, uh, there are some wonderful solutions out there that were purpose-built from the start to cater to advisors that said, hey, I, I want most all the benefits of the RIA model, but I just as well, for whatever my circumstances, don't want to have to start and manage an RIA myself, but I still want those benefits for the most part. And so there are purpose-built solutions out there that say, hey, we've, we've built it all. We've gone out there. We've looked at best in breed solutions. We have an enormous scale to get better pricing on things. And, and we were purpose built to attract this advisor set. And there's some wonderful value propositions out there of what's provided, the economics, all those sorts of things. And so there's no reason when there's these good solutions out there that you should join one that has an uncompetitive value proposition. And I have this conversation from time to time that a, an advisor will reach out to me 
And it turns out they're already with an RIA. Um, they're, they're no longer happy with that RIA. And I, I start asking, you know, they're, and again, they don't want to start their own. Perhaps they want to, they, 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 they just know that there's something better than they have now. And they'll start to describe what they have now. And it's not at all competitive to what the marketplace has. Now, maybe it's, they've been there so long and the marketplace has evolved and that firm just never made any changes. Or maybe it was uncompetitive to begin with. And, and by uncompetitive, I mean just the economics for the advisor or how things are priced out are just not even remotely uh, competitive to what you could get elsewhere. Or the value prop for what you are paying, right? Because you got to look at both sides of the coin. What, what are you paying? What do you receive in return? It's just, again, not competitive. And I, you know, sometimes you wonder, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Advisor, how, how did you ever even end up at this firm? How did, how did essentially they get away with kind of talking you into this, uh, joining this uncompetitive value proposition? And and could be a couple of things. One, that there, there could have been some maybe a local connection and in, in the, the joining advisor knew of this other RIA and, and just didn't look out into the marketplace to see what else is out there. And, and whether it's local or not, you, you have to benchmark, you have to look at least, you know, I, I typically tell people at least look at two, three solutions to know what all is out there. And some folks just haven't done that. And they talked to some RIA, however they got connected to them. Uh, it sounded good. It was better than what they had before at a broker deal. That That is often the case, but that doesn't mean it's competitive to what else is out there. So I just encourage you, if if your path is, is best to join an existing RIA, that you're aware of what the marketplace holds. And that doesn't mean you have to find the cheapest solution out there. And I, I would uh, tell you that often is not the best solution. There's a specific uh, uh, advisor that reached out to me a couple months back uh, and he reached out and he was frustrated that his existing firm wasn't providing him much of anything, much value, much support, much resources. And he's, he's kind of lamenting about this. And, and then I said, well, well, how much are you paying them? And it was this ridiculously small number. I, I think it was six basis points. And I said, okay, well, what, what do you expect for six basis points? Because for that six basis points, they were providing him some amount of technology. I, admittedly, it wasn't that robust, robust, but there was some technology. They were providing that, that compliance and regulatory responsibility. They were providing the E&O policy. And so quite frankly, I don't know why this RIA themselves was doing what they were doing, albeit it wasn't much, but what they were doing for only six basis points uh, on, on the assets, the advisor's assets, because they have those expenses themselves, they have risk involved, and presumably they're doing this to make a profit, and there's just there's just nothing there. And I had to explain to this advisor, okay, well, you get what you pay for, and you're not you're not paying much. And, and so he ended up exploring solutions that were two, three times the cost because he realized, well, if I pay more, but I get more, and that's less I have to pay for individually on my own, or less uh, things I have to functionally do, I can I can outsource them to the firm instead. That was actually a much better value than what he thought of going with the cheapest solution uh, out there. So just know you want to be aware of what's out there from value proposition, from what you get, for what you pay, uh, and, and make sure you're benchmarking that against what whatever solutions you might be looking at. Um, kind of related to that one. The next one is just to know that there are, again, the, the RA model has evolved to where there are some very uh, sophisticated, very well-oiled solutions out there um, that are available to you. And so I, I, I love a good startup story. I love a good entrepreneur story. 
But the challenge is, and I, I get uh, all the time, uh, RAs reach out to me of, of all sizes that, that want to kind of have, make sure I'm aware of what, what their solution is, perhaps. Um, but there are smaller firms out there, maybe a couple hundred million that are trying to get in the space of attracting advisors to, to their, their firm. And the, the challenge with that is if you're an advisor looking for a home, it's, it can be a little challenging because when there's solutions that have been doing this for quite some time and they've got, they've got this pretty dialed, dialed in pretty well, they do have a value pro, good value proposition, they, do, they are competitive on their price and they've looked at what other solutions do, it's, it's hard for you to, to take that chance with that smaller firm that you might be the first RA or the first advisor joining them under this new kind of growth strategy they have of, of oh, hey, let's, let's not only grow our own RA, but let's attract advisors to our RA. And, and I, it's, it's hard for me to give that example because, again, everyone has to start somewhere. So even these big established solutions, whatever their origin story, at one point, they too were small. And so I, I get everyone's got to start somewhere. But as that joining advisor yourself, this is your livelihood, your practice, your clients. If, if you want to kind of join that upstart, at least upstart with respect to, hey, this is a relatively new idea to be added advisors, that might work out for you, but uh, you would just want to do a significant amount of due diligence and reach a significant comfort level that that's going to be the best path or that that's going to work for you when there are other solutions out there that have been doing this for a very long time and they've had countless advisors join before you and they've figured out most of the kinks and how best to do a transition. So just be, be careful. Again, I don't want to just blatantly cross off all kind of the upstarts because I, I love a good entrepreneurial story. It is something you just need to be careful about knowing there are some just great solutions that are, that are already pretty dialed in on, on, on all these things. They've been doing it so long. Uh, the next example uh, is to give is, is to not join a firm that requires that you sign some sort of long-term commitment to that firm. Uh, and and I'll, I'll give some examples of where to a degree it's warranted, but this is the, the classic when you join a wirehouse and you're selling your soul for 9, 10, 11, 12 years. And by the way, and I rant about this all the time, so I won't get started here, but you've now committed yourself to possibly a decade plus of changes that you have no idea what those changes will be, whether that's managerial changes, compensation changes, uh, policy changes. When you commit to like a 10-year agreement or 10-year plus, you have no idea what those changes will be over the balance of that 10 years, yet you have now signed on to that arrangement, uh, which I think is ludicrous knowing they could change your compensation on you at, at whatever point over that time period. I won't get ranted, ranted or rant further on this episode, but just know it's you got to be very careful before you sign in, sign in some sort of long-term agreement to stay at a firm. And so in the RIA space, thankfully, that's that's typically not, not at all the case that, that you're even being asked to do that. Uh, but there could be a few instances where it could come up, and I think it's fair and just to be aware of. So it, it would be typical if you're going to join a firm, they are going to dedicate significant time, resources, their capital to help you with that transition, to make sure it's successful, to make sure you're able to move your clients, to get you trained, to get you up and going. All the things that have to go into a successful transition, to their credit, that takes a lot of their resources. Again, time, capital, attention, uh, all, all kinds of their, their people. Uh, it is fair for them to expect you to stay at least some amount of time because they've made that commitment into you. And, and by the way, most firms that you join, 
And again, I did a whole episode of what you would expect to pay, or I'm sorry, what you, your economics would look out, what the payout might be if you were to join an RA. Most RAs you join do not say, hey, yeah, here's our economics. And by the way, for all these things we're going to do for you up front, you have to give us $100,000 flat because we're going to help with the transition and we're going to uh, dedicate these resources. They typically don't do that. They don't have you write some check for everything they're going to provide you. They provide it for you because they they say, okay, well, hey, we want this to be a long-term relationship. We want this to be a successful transition. But you can understand it then takes them a little while to recoup that investment. So if you were to join them and six months later leave, they're going to be upside down on that. Now, the, the reality is you shouldn't be joining a firm anyways that you think you might leave in one, two, three years. If, if that is already your mindset going into it, then you're already joining the wrong firm or you're going down the wrong path to begin with. So you, you should already feel comfortable that at a minimum, you're, you're comfortable with this firm at a minimum for, for at least a couple of years. And, and maybe the balance, hopefully the balance of your career would, would be the right solution for you. So if they come along and say, hey, we're going to do all this for you to help make this a successful transition. We do expect you to sign you know, at least a minimum of two or three year type agreement. You shouldn't have an issue with that because again, that's fair to them for the, the resources they're going to put into it. And again, you shouldn't be joining a firm that you're not comfortable staying at least two to three years anyway. So that's one example. The other example, and, and this is some RAs do this, some don't. There's no free lunch. There's always a trade-off to everything, but some RAs do offer some degree of upfront transition assistance. So this is nowhere in the realm of the giant uh, checks that wirehouses uh, write, but uh, no, there's always a trade-off. If it's the wirehouse writing the check or if it's an RIA writing the check, they're not doing that out of the kindness of their heart. That is an economic decision they have made possibly to entice you to make the move, but they need to make their money back somehow. That is not a gift. And so that's why uh, typically if you take money, understandably, there is a requirement that, oh, hey, advisor, you in turn have to stay with us X number of years. That is an economic decision for them to say, that's how long it's going to take us to recoup our money. So when you see these wirehouses offering these absurd upfront checks or these absurd total kind of upfront join bonuses, that's why they're doing these 9, 10, 11, 12 year deals because that's what it takes for them to make their money back. It's This is not a free lunch. They're basically just giving you part of your future income upfront and in return, putting you under onerous handcuffs over the balance of that 10, 9, 10, 11, 12 year term. Um, but that's what they have to do to be able to get their, to be able to get the money back that they've, that they fronted you up front. Same in the RA space. Again, it's on a much smaller scale. Most RAs don't, don't even do any. There are some that do it, but for same economic reasons, they have to put in, and, and they're nowhere near 9, 10, 11, 12 years in the RA space. Uh, but, but to make their economics back, they, they do typically require a certain amount of length of stay. Uh, and I have seen even some firms that offer the transition assistance and they even say, hey, you have two options. We will give you this money up front and, and your payout will be X. Or by the way, if and, and you have to uh, stay a certain number of years minimum, or if you don't need or don't want that money up front, that's fine. We will give you a higher payout and there's no commitment of, of any number of years, except for again, maybe that short period just to make sure they recoup the resources they put into transition in you. So just knows no free lunch. If there is transition assistance involved, an upfront check, whatever you want to call it, it is reasonable. They're typically going to have some amount of time. But absent those two, there's no reason you should be signing or joining a firm that makes you sign some, hey, if I join, I commit to minimum five years or seven years or 10 years. 
That's absurd. That doesn't happen in the RA space. By no means get yourself in that situation. Uh, and keep in mind that the benefit of joining a firm that does not require you sign some sort of longer term commitment is at that point, and again, this, this is assuming you haven't sold your practice to them or anything, you are a free agent. You and your fellow colleagues, your peers, advisor peers at that firm are free agents. So if the value proposition of that RA is, hey, come join us, we're not buying your practice, you retain 100% ownership, we're not having you sign a non-solicit or non-compete, you can leave at, at some point in the future if you want. If that is the value proposition, which is what most advisors should be looking for, keep in mind what that does is that requires that the RIA uh, run that RA and, and what they provide for you, that, that ongoing value proposition has to be such that they keep their advisors happy because they know the advisors are free agents. They know the advisors could just leave. If all of their advisors are under some long-term contracts, that incentive whittles down. And they say, okay, well, what are these advisors going to do? If they want to leave, we're going to go after them. We got these non-solicits, these non-competes. Uh, so they're not incentivized to work as hard to keep you as the advisor happy and to make sure their value proposition is keeping up with the marketplace over time. So when you join a firm, you do not want to be signing some sort of long contract you, and you don't want any of their advisors to really be signing some sort of long contract. Because again, that firm culturally will not work as hard to keep you satisfied as a firm that knows all of their advisors are free agents, they can all leave. So, hey, we as a firm have to continuously work hard to keep these folks happy so they want to stay, not because they're, they're required to stay, not because there's some signed agreement, not because we have a non-solicit, because they want to stay. It's like, right, and I say this sarcastically, what an amazing idea, what a great idea. Obviously, there's lots of pathways out there, marketplace, the wirehouse world that doesn't believe in that approach. For whatever reason, they feel they have to be non-protocol or they feel they have to have non-solicits or non-competes or long contracts. And it just begs the question, if you are providing such great value for the advisors that, that are, are with your solution, why would you need all of that? Why do you need those artificial handcuffs? The great news in the RA space, there's some wonderful solutions that don't have any of that. And they can't, and you will know that they are putting all their effort into just keeping you satisfied, not because of any uh, artificial, you know, kind of handcuffs along the way. Uh, and then the, the final uh, example I want to give of the type of solution not joined, and this is actually kind of a, a trick question uh, because I get asked this or I get, I, I, you know, I start talking to advisors and it might make sense for them to be joining an RA. And I will hear some advisors often proactively say, I do not want to join any firm that has private equity money back in it. And the reality is there are a number of RA solutions out there that, that is part of their ownership structures to have some sort of private equity. And so the, the idea why that advisor is saying that is oh, I, I either I don't trust that or, or I don't know that we're going to be on the same page or oh, they're looking just to just to grow this firm and then sell it. Uh, and, and kind of whatever assumptions you want to make in private equity. And look, I'm, I'm not a private equity guy. I'm not out here just trying to defend private equity. But, but here's the thing you have to keep in mind. Every firm is for sale at all times. Hard stuff. Whether, whether you want to believe it or not, the reality, it is. So whether that's uh, RAs, broker dealers, whatever, everything is always for sale. I, for a long time, I worked at a at the corporate level at a large, large broker dealer firm, national broker dealer firm. Uh, and I remember the CEO would often say, hey, to the employees, hey, hey keep in mind, we are for sale. 
Uh, and, and let me back up. This this explanation would typically come up during, during times of maybe big market dips, and there was fear among the employees that, oh gosh, is someone going to come in and buy us out, and that's maybe not going to be good for the employees. And the CEO CEO reminded everyone because this is a publicly traded company. Hey, keep in mind, everyone, we are for sale every Monday through Friday from 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. Anyone, if wanted to, could come in and start trying to acquire the company. So even the large established public and traded firms, there's no guarantee of what their future path will be because you don't know for sure what that ownership structure will look like down the line. Now, go over to the RA space. Some have private equity backs. Some are completely uh, in-house founder backed. Uh, some are maybe some combination of that or, or, or have taken capital from some other source. Keep in mind, all of that could change over time. You, you could join a firm and they say, and it, it might be owned by, oh, the four original founders. And they say, we're, we're not publicly traded. We haven't taken outside money. We haven't taken private equity. But guess what? At some point, those individuals will want some amount of liquidity. Now, now perhaps it will be some sort of internal succession and it kind of still stays, you know, all in the family, if you will. But even they, at some point, will have to sell or will want to sell. And so don't put too much thought on, okay, well, who's the current owners? Because the reality is, I don't care what scenario you give me, you don't know what that eventual future ownership could be. It might be 5, 10, 15, 20 years out. It can and will eventually change. So you, you can't put too much concern on uh, you, you should be aware of what it is and make sure you're comfortable with who those partners is. But every firm at the end of the day is for sale in some capacity at some point in time. Now, the way I think you can kind of best protect yourself, if you will, from that entire situation, again, is to join a firm where effectively you are that free agent, where you are free to leave if you want, where you're free to take your clients with you if you want, where you're not signed to non-solicit, you haven't signed some sort of long-term agreement. Because if that ownership changes and that new owner comes in, whether it's partial owner, full owner, whatever, uh, comes in and wants to start making changes that are no longer perhaps in your best interest or that you're no longer satisfied with, well, guess what? You're a free agent. You can always leave. And guess what? You and your peers might leave. So that what does that do? That means they have to always be cognizant of, okay, what is best for the advisors? Because if we... If we don't continue to provide that, they will leave and this thing is going to have no value whatsoever. If you've instead joined a firm where you essentially sold your soul and, and you've signed over all your rights to ever do anything uh, ever again, you are kind of at the mercy of what that ownership changes. Because if they do make changes, you're stuck at that point. Again, there is a time at the end of your career where you potentially need to sell your practice and that will be the equation. Hopefully you've done a lot of work and found that right dance partner. Um, and, and you will now be under new ownership, but, but, but earlier in your career, mid-career, whatever the case is, as long as you're not in a situation where you're handcuffed, you shouldn't worry as much about the current ownership structure, because no matter what it is, it could change in the future. So make sure you're just comfortable with the, the value prop, the arrangement, the structure, all that sort of thing in the near term. Uh, so with that, I hope you found, uh, oh, oh, by the way, one, one other thing I want to just point out, um, uh, related to that that last item is I even have some folks that say, hey, I'm not going to join an RA because again, I'm worried about this ownership structure, which I just kind of lamented about. And let me remind you, even if you start your own RA, which for many of many advisors is the better path. So this episode is talking about joining an RA, but it's not to suggest that starting your own RA is not something you should consider as well. 
But even if you start your own RA and you say, okay, I, I'm going to be 100% owner. I'm not going to be beholden to anyone. Keep in mind, every RIA, whether you start it and build it yourself or you're joining another RIA, relies on different solution providers around it to provide the necessary components of, of an RA practice. So an example of those is every RA needs at least one custodian, maybe multiple custodians, right? You need that custodian to hold your client's assets and to, and to clear the trades. Um, and so even if you have your own RIA, keep in mind, things, things could still be outside of your control. Case in point, there are a lot of RAs out there that that signed on with TD years and years ago as their custodian. They really liked TD. Where Schwab came along and acquired TD. So even though you might own 100% of your RIA, those advisors that are in a situation of no kind of votes of their own, the circumstances changed on them. So just know that there's no foolproof path of how you own the firm or who owns the firm. Change can and will happen over time. The question is, can you best position yourself again for some of the reasons I talked about, keeping your options open to, to be able to manage those changes when they come? And even if you are the owner of the of your own RA, change can still impact you and you will have to, to adjust and, 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 and potentially pivot the path going forward. Uh, so just wanted to bring that back into the conversation. Uh, so with that, like I said, my name is Brad Wales with Transition to RIA. This is the type of conversation I have with advisors all day long is talking about, hey, does it even make sense for you to be joining an RA? Should you maybe be starting your RA? Again, as I've talked about before, this flavor's in the middle. Uh, but if joining an RA makes sense, it's very important that you are aware of how the, how the marketplace currently looks what those value propositions are, why you might choose one over another, what you can expect from an RA when you join them. That's the kind of conversation I have uh, with advisors. Happy to chat with you about that as well. Uh, but first things first, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, again, you can find all of the resources I make available, this entire series in video format, podcast format, I have articles, I have white papers. At the top of every page is a contact link. Just click on that and you can instantly and easily set time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, whether you wanna talk about today's topic or anything else RIA related, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value in today's episode and I'll see you on the next one.